Welcome back to another episode of Can't Handle the Heat. It's your boy G Swizzles. To my left, got my brother Jokesy. How are we doing, everybody? Shano back at it. Shano back at it. Shano with what Shano up? News. What's up, brother? What's going on, boys? Been a couple weeks now. Uh, they're get, they're getting into their season. They're getting a little busier. I'm kind of grinding out school right now, getting ready for club and high school volleyball season to start up for me on my end down here in the South Bay. Good to be back on the pod. Good to see the fellas. This week coach. and in the last. Yeah, well, I guess for club, shout out MB Surf, big big time club in the South Bay, producing stud athletes on the daily. But uh, anyways, um, we got some news, a uh, lot of news to catch up on, especially on the men's side. Shout out, by the way, first point of news, I'm going to give a huge shout out to Andy Benish and Miles Partain. Their first uh, three tournaments together, they took fifth in their first one, their only loss coming against Qatar which was, I believe, the bronze medalist at the Olympics and is one of the best teams in the world. Then in their next tournament, they came from the qualifier in the Dubai first event, and they won the whole thing. And they beat everybody. They beat a bunch of big names. They beat uh, a Brazilian team that was really good, and they won the whole thing. It's the first time an American men's team has won a tournament in, I believe, three years since 2019 at least. Taylor Crabb and Jake Gibb won in Mexico, I believe, was the last time. An American team won. And what's so exciting about Andy and Miles, at least what I see and what I think a lot of volleyball fans see, is they're both young. They're both getting better. Miles, especially, is 20 years old. That he's gonna be unbelievable. Yeah. So that that team I think has potential to be if they stay together, of course, because Miles has to go play his indoor season, so they won't be together a lot. But if they stay together, I could see them being an Olympic team for the next two Olympics. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. If they go for it, though, they might not go for Paris. Nobody knows, really. But you never know. And then also, Taylor Crabb and Paul Lottman took a third place. Paul Lottman, because Sander couldn't play, nobody really knew why, except for them. So, you know, they'll figure that out, whatever. But um, Paul Lottman flew out, and him and Taylor Sander in the second Dubai event took third and got a medal, which was pretty cool to see. Because So that was interesting because then today, actually, Cape Town, Elite 16, Sander back with Crab playing, they didn't make it out of the qualifier. They got swept 2-0 by an English team that I had never heard of. Deep so, yes. Yeah, so, may, well, what was that, Joey? Say that again? Tea party. Tea party? Yeah, a little tea party act. Good call. Good call by you there. But yeah, there's uh there's your little update there on the FIVB men's side. Um, like I said, very excited to watch what Miles and Andy do. They're the team of the future. I think the boys would also agree, and hey, we're pretty excited. The thing see. is, the thing is, they match the the international stage right now. We're like we're over in Europe, obviously, for a majority of the year, and so we get yeah. to see indoor beach, and we get to really see like how everything's kind of developing over here. Um, and seeing how they train and the type of in the style and the international stage right now, I feel like is so physical, so big that you yeah. have to be. And I feel like those are the only two right now in the U.S. who are able to compete on that level. Um, and it also but, seems like their game, like Miles' mm -hmm. game, his on-two option game, has translated yeah. very well to the international stage. Like it's the, see the it's the same as it is on the AVP. Yeah, yeah. They they what right did now. they just win the last one? They did. Yeah, that's, that's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, the last one. They won the last one. No, yeah. they beat Norwegian. Because part they... team. No. That was that wasn't the last that, one. Oh my bad. No. Miles won the last one before that. Partain. Yeah. But yeah. The Swedes um, won the Nor- won won the European Championship this year though awesome. in Munich. They, they did. Beat, yeah, yeah, they're beat some good teams. They're very legit. That Swedish team is very very good. But anyways, all right. We got some other news. Um women's volleyball. Wisconsin women's volleyball team. Uh some Photos got leaked of them. Mm-hmm. They're very explicit. We won't go into the details. That was a little drama. The next game, University of Wisconsin, shout out the student body. A lot of good friends that go there. Sold out the game. And they have a big crowd now. They have the number one recruit in the country coming to their team. So hopefully they can move past this incident. They're going to be really good for a couple of years. And they've been good forever. I'd assume they're going to continue to be really good. The thing about that, the thing about Wisconsin volleyball, Anybody who's – well, first of all, what happened was it was – well, first of all, it was – the first thing that happened was people thought someone hacked the group chat, right, because after they won the net was – after they won the, the national championship, a bunch of people yeah, uh, or a bunch of photos and videos were leaked, et cetera, of them nude, posing, or going crazy in the locker yeah. room. And at the end of the day, I mean, you're not expecting those to get out, so you're just having fun. You just no. win the national championship. You feel immortal exactly. at the end of the day. So I get that. I get where they're coming from on that, you know, especially young college kids and whatnot. Um, but the, the, the thing about that is I was thinking about, well, and then it got, and then it happened that then they're doing police, uh, they're doing a police investigation, uh, investigation right now because they're like, wait, yeah. someone on the team or someone who got kicked off, someone bitter or someone who just trying to F with them got the photos and then leaked them like that, you know, and then that's, that's the yeah. latest word going around. And the thing is, is like, I can, I already know that like all of the teams who've ever been a part of a group chat ever are just oh like going God. through. They're just going through the group chat, yeah. like making sure, like they're like deleting everything for sure. Like I if you've been like, part of a team, there's no, there's not yeah. a chance that the the text message through in the group chat happened. Like, oh, bro, guys, we gotta delete this, or or girls are same I mean, thing. We're like, oh, we gotta delete this. You know what I'm saying? It's the age of it's the social media age, man. You just yeah. it is what it is. Technology, it sucks that like this type of stuff can just happen because it happened like you said it happens with every team like pretty much i'm sure like you've been in group chats i've been in group chats on football teams volleyball teams where it's like if this information gets released <laughs> you know what we're saying oh, yeah. what we're joking around everybody knows it's a joke everyone knows we're messing around if it gets released oh god yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um but It'll yeah anyways though, yeah. yeah no that'll be a good wake-up call for them i'm sure wisconsin they won though they beat number there. one nebraska the next Next yeah, match. I'm not surprised. The fire, they're, baby. they're a great team. They're a very, very good team. Like I said, I uh, got the chance to watch Merrick Costa's girls volleyball team play in the CIF semifinals against uh, Modern Day. They have a girl by the name of Charlie Furbringer, who is mm. Matt Furbringer's daughter, who, if you guys know him, very fit, uh, USA coach now, owns Rockstar, was a great AVP player back in the day won a bunch of tournaments his daughter great is, six-man player yes great six-man player legend in the six-man but um his daughter is absolutely ridiculous she she's carrying she's one of co- she's first time costa's been to a cif final in like a decade i think at least for girls and it's she's setting and then in the fifth set of the modern day match she asked the coach to make her opposite and run a six, two so they could have her hit because their main hitter was kind of getting shut down and they want, and she basically won them the match. She's ridiculous. Wisconsin, Wisconsin's getting a very good player there. So shout out them. Um, All right. 
last topic of the day because I know you boys got to run. Uh, indoor season for college is starting to get going. Uh, USC tournament was this weekend. Uh, from what I understand, those preseason tournaments, a lot of teams are really not showing their best and kind of keeping guys out if they're maybe a little injured or trying different lineups out, getting freshman reps. So you can't take much from that stuff. But what I will say is UCLA, I know they went 3-0 and and undefeated, so they're probably going to be pretty good. Uh, I know Hawaii in their preseason ha- has struggled a little bit, went five with Irvine, very close match. They were missing. Irvine's Spiro, better this so. year, though. Irvine – they're way better. He had a 70 mile an hour, 78 mile an hour serve. He's yeah, the year well, they, of the years, baby. He, yeah, Chesco. Is that what Chesco's saying? I mean, That's what he's good, saying. good on him. Good on him. They say? got a good. Year of the eaters, baby. Zot year on. of the this eaters. Zot nation, baby. He's saying year of the year of the Zot. For me, UCI finishes fourth in the Big West. Shout out them. <laughs> um, but they do have a Behind great who? setter. Behind who? Hawaii, Long Beach, Santa Barbara. And Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara. Absolutely, I don't know. Sandy Barbie, who does Sandy Barbie have? And a Barbara has the their whole team's coming back. They finished third last year, and they Wilcox? added my boy. Yep, they got Wilcox still. They got Chalmers still. They got that's Hicks right. Still, they have they have all their guys coming back right. another year. They're I, old... I shouldn't I shouldn't have said that about Santa. Barbara. All right, Santa Barbara has always had and really hey, good also, team chemistry. But... And they're always really good at ball control. I take what I said back. Also, big shout out to my boy Jack Walmer. Former, but Wall-me. probably going to be their setter. Probably going to be their setter. Don't know yeah. that for sure, but I'd be surprised if he isn't their starter. So shout out him. Go Stangs. But, yeah. Go Stangs. Go, Go Bows. I'm a Cub. Go Bows. I don't know about that. I think the Bows this year might lose to Long Beach. Call me crazy. I think Long Beach is deeper this year. They Dude, lose the Nikolov, one thing is, but they added true. like. Nikolov is playing unreal in the Italian league right now. I don't know if people oh, pay attention. Oh, I'm sure. He's starting I'm for sure. Lube, and they went to fight last night with Perugia. On a side note, I don't know if people – there was a crazy video that uh, from the final, the super, the Italian Super Cup yesterday of Leon knocked out. He blacked out in the mat, in the middle of the match. His head bounced off the ground three oh, times. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Blacked yeah. out, and they left him in the match. I'm like, that's one thing. Europe, there's not really any type of concussion protocol. Like, we ah, never took a baseline – there's nothing. Love for, for that. You're a meathead the football player. Out on the court, and they're like, "Oh, he, no, he was totally fine." I'm like, "No, he blacked out. Like, he definitely is not. He should not be in the game." <laughs> I mean, dude, like concussion tests, like you know, mental health, your brain health is extremely important. But like, I understand why some players, especially you're seeing in the NFL now, like Tua, like he he got what just got knocked out like two weeks ago, really bad. Two weeks later, he's put still putting his head down running at mm-hmm. people like these players like we're like as a per, as a former football player myself at a high level like i don't most players aren't worried about concussion stuff during when they're playing you know so it's like it's hard for them to like accept that they're actually injured and stuff so you know yeah. that the whole protocol thing i think is pretty important but i also understand that a player's competitive nature of wanting to stay in a game even if he got bumped on the head a little bit yeah no that for sure yeah, there has to be like the training staff has to like watch out a little well bit. yeah they have to be better they have about to be held that. accountable it's... they have to be held because if so, 100 it's proven that's what that's one thing in nfl all these studies in the nfl and stuff if you get concussed twice and within it like within a oh game, yeah no severely, your brain you can like so, die yeah yeah it's really really bad and 
he blacks out and you leave him in the match, if he gets rocked in the head one more time, it's yeah, really what bad. What if Nikolov nukes the ball off his head? You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you never know. But exactly. yeah, no doubt. Well, anyways, fellas. World, World Cup for... in three weeks. I'm so excited for that. The Dude. FIFA World Cup as in oh, soccer, yeah. right? We're FIFA talking World soccer. Cup. Well, FIFA World Cup. Heck on, on a yeah, side I'm note, sorry. So, We're getting a little up. So excited. She was like, all right, so let's wrap excited. it up. Let's oh, go. my gosh. Joe. <laughs> Like the world, you know, dude. I'm so excited. Let's go. I'm so excited. USA, we're gonna make it out of the group, we're dude. We're making out of the group. England. We are. We're making out of the group. We we're are gonna, gonna make it England. out. I believe I'm just we are. Saying it right now because Wait, I think top two that get out. Is it top two? Yep. Top two. So who's the who's the other? England, Wales, will be England, Wales, Wales England, England, Iran, and us. Iran. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to beat. Wales England and Iran. Wales and Iran. We just have to beat Wales and Iran, which we can do. And also, and beating, like, yeah. don't get me wrong. England is really good. They're great. But USA does not lose to England. We haven't lost. Anything. We don't lose. Undefeated, never lost. All right. At anything. We don't lose to England, except for Taylor Crabb. Shout out him. But besides him, <laughs> oh we don't lose to England. That's tough. Um, That's tough. All right, we're no, off I'm topic. kidding. Taylor, I'm kidding. Taylor, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're still Don't worry. going to make it into the final cut. Don't we don't lose. That, Good, 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 good. Uh, but we do not lose to England in any sports. And USA, we don't lose baby. to England in fights, wars, or anything. We're going to kick their butt. We're going to beat them 1-0, or we're going to America tie 1-1. With that, I leave these boys. They got to get to a meeting. Hey, watch their season. They're a fun watch. They have a bunch of American players. They all played together in college. Uh, some of them have even played as far back as grade school. Go um, – what's your team Luna Huna. Go Lunenburg. Go Lunenburg, Lions. Go Lunenburg. Go Lions. With that being said, God bless America, and thank you, Shano Strokey, for Shano News. Cheers, boys. Everyone have a good one. Ciao. And welcome back to another episode, if you can't handle the heat. Now, we are not solo doloing this episode. (laughs) We have a two-time Olympian and one of the all-time great setters for Team Canada. Recently retired, now Turning his focus on educating the next volleyball generation. Our brother to the north, TJ Sanders. TJ, thank you so much for hopping on the show, brother. Guys, thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, well, first things first, how, how are you enjoying the retired life, man? Uh, I mean, I didn't really miss that much of a beat. When I was, like, kind of from 2018 to 2021, when I was still training with the national team a little bit, I All also right. took a position with a uh, volleyball program in north northern Canada, like the Arctic. Uh, so I was kind of doing times where I'd travel up north and then I'd be back with the national team. And I had a little stint there where I was in, in Poland for a little bit, but my back couldn't really handle it. So retiring, I just kind of slipped into doing this a little bit more full time. And now I live up here. So so did you, you, so did you live get, up like, there? Yeah. Dude, in the I've Arctic? seen some of that. I've seen some of that footage. It's gnarly. Yeah, it's like frozen tundra, like north of the tree line. No trees like what dogs everywhere. Yeah, yeah. What is that like? Uh, I mean, it's totally wild. It's beautiful. Like when you're in the middle of winter and you, I look just past like the last house and there's nothing in any direction except for polar bears and beluga whales. It's like, it's pretty wow, crazy. Wow. That's insane. How, what's the nearest airport to you? Sorry for being ignorant on this. So no, 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 it's fine. So we're like, we're, how we get up here is through Montreal and you just fly like straight north of Montreal. But each of these communities has an airport because it's the only way to get in. There's no yeah. roads. So you got to fly in. But do you ever What's get What's the like, population? We're 1800 <laughs> and we're the biggest on the Hudson's Bay. 
So we're like the the oh, meaty one. Dude, yeah. how did you find this situation? And how many players do you Sold. have? Sold. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, you want me to go where? Yes, let's do that. I just fractured two parts of my back. Let's go. <laughs> um, I actually was on a flight from where I was living at the time to in BC, in British Columbia. And the guy that was sitting beside me was like, hey, I, I, like, I don't know why, but I recognize you. And I was like, hey, maybe volleyball or something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And he kind of was in the volleyball community. And he was like, oh, well, I heard about the injury. You should reach out to this guy that started this program up north because I'm sure he'd like love to have you or maybe it could kind of turn into a thing. Um, and at that point, like I was back in Canada post-World Champs, post-2018 World Champs, where I messed up my back pretty bad and, and couldn't really play. And basically was just like, yeah, sure, let's head up north. My girlfriend uh, was really like keen on it too and, and came with me and also helped out. And now she works full time with the program and I've been kind of working with them on and off. And I'm also now when we got up here last year, COVID kind of hit, so we couldn't travel. So there's 14 communities in this kind of region. We're in 11 of them. So we typically would come up here and like bounce around, like fly around to all the different spots. Um, but because of COVID, we couldn't do that. So the principal, like the schools are short staffed, uh, everything. I mean, it's a remote Arctic village, right? Um, and so the principal was like, Hey, we don't have any like grade 10, 11, 12 teachers. Like, can you teach? Would you be interested in teaching? And I was like, well, I got nothing else I'm doing right now. So sure. So I'm also an English and social studies teacher now too. Do you know anything about English and social studies before that? Or are you learning like as a student? Well, I mean, I you knew a thing or two about like, English. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really? well. I came back with like a Polish or Turkish accent. It wasn't like, <laughs> Oh my God. All right. Two Again, apologize for being ignorant, but two questions here. One, is it, like you said, you got a major injury in 2018. Is it good for your back to be in such Arctic-level cold? And oh, actually, let's start with that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know much about that. You know, cold therapy is a big thing. People are all about that. Um, I would say, like, putting on all the equipment that you need to get ready to go for walks where you got, like, huge boots and you got, like, all sorts of layers and stuff, and it's pretty restricted – Definitely long walks are not great or like, you know, being on a ski do for too long or something like that. Um, but I mean, I'm now just a guy. I'm not a, I'm not right. trying to be a, a Olympian anymore. So it's kind of like, okay, if it hurts, it's kind of whatever it's not. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the question was always, you know, do you go for three times? It's like, well, I've done it twice. I don't know. Wait, are you actually considering it? No, no, I'm just messing around. I, I although I always, I, I, it's always funny when I, when I ended up retiring, everyone was kind of like, ah, like, you know, that's crazy. But like, how, how, you know, is this a hundred percent or where you kind of Cause we've had so many guys in the Canadian national team have been like, okay, I retire. And then next summer they're on the world league For roster, sure. the nation's yeah. league roster. And it's like, so, I mean, it's a no, but like, I'm literally in the Arctic teaching social studies. So I don't know if I'm really equipped yeah. to go back to it, but you know, that's such a wild, just turn of if people are like, we're to ask, Oh, I wonder like where he's at. Yeah, right. dude. He's Santa Claus. I want to, I want to I, I <laughs> kind right. of, I want to kind of tangent off kind of what you just not tangent, but kind of play off with uh, the direction where you were just going. We've talked about a lot. My brother and I were over uh, in Germany right now. We have a lot of Canadians uh, that we're playing with this year. I'm sure you're familiar with. Did you go to? I, I excuse me. Did you go to Trinity Western by chance? I did not. No. no. Okay. No. Sorry, wow, I know that's an insult. In wow, bro. Poor guys who get <laughs> insulted. I'm, but, I'm uh, an older generation. Like I'm. Yeah. Okay. The, I mean, I, I just want to quickly get, I know it just got announced yesterday and kind of everything kind of happened recently. And a lot of people have been asking us and DMing us about some stuff. Just quickly, your two cents on a lot of the 
changes made at the head of like the men's team with Team Canada right now, uh, and the Lisa Benjo, like kind of what you uh, felt was the was the reasoning for the move, and then what is your opinion kind of on who they obviously are bringing in, a uh, very experienced uh, coach. Yeah, wow, big topic. Let's go in. Um, hot topic. Yeah, hot. The drama. It's. I really feel like there's some drama in Canadian volleyball right now, which is mm-hmm. kind of unique because you don't feel like. First of all, Canadians we're a little bit docile. Sometimes it's not too intense, and rarely are there big moves like this. Um, so in one way, it's kind of cool, like to see the volleyball community erupt and emerge, and like kind of see where everybody's coming from. I would say. I mean, I don't know all the information. You know, like I'm, I wasn't a part of any of those board meetings with Volleyball Canada. You're off the grid, that. to say the least. I'm off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we barely got Wi-Fi. We don't have cell service, okay? So I don't really know. I'm not in Electricity? Touch. Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. But I we, drink uh, water from the snow. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> no, we've actually tried to do that, and it's nasty. Because you run out of water and sewage all the time up here. Like, we get our sewage <sighs> and water via trucks. So sometimes it gets... Oh. Anyway, that's another, another kind of tangent. Cow. Okay. But... Um, yeah, it was, first of all, when I heard it, I was, uh, stunned by it just based off of like duration. Like it was, he'd basically been with the team for like a few months. He had like, you know, a few months for the program. Um, I think I have a couple thoughts on it. Like one, you know, he's a Canadian guy. So obviously I wanted to see him succeed. Like I want the investment to be in Canadian coaches. And, you know, he obviously was very in touch and committed to, elevating the level of volleyball both in coaching and the developmental stuff and all that and when you bring in a foreign coach it is reasonable to assume that they won't be as committed to that right he's not he's not a canadian guy he's maybe not as worried about the grassroots stuff not that i'm saying he won't be but it's just easy to kind of make that correlation um so i would say i was definitely shocked by it the results weren't great this summer but also i don't think it was the kind of summer where we were looking for results Mm -hmm. right it's like okay we're trying to build up we're trying to do a new system we're building up to uh the olympic qualifiers next summer hopefully paris and then you know also la like it was kind of because there was a huge shift right we lost a lot of mm-hmm. our kind of that leadership group um and naturally it takes it takes a lot to have a team that's kind of at that level and and to transition especially when you know in canada we have a lot more athletes now but we don't have the pool of athletes like in the u.s or like in brazil or like in poland right it's not just unlimited amazing athletes um so yeah, I would say I was shocked. And then bringing in um, the Finnish guy, I mean, I've talked to him a couple times, but it's always been more like small talk when he's coaching Russia or he's doing whatever. And mm-hmm. he seemed great. I don't know much about him as a coach. I know as a player, he was the classic guy that was like roiding out and had veins popping and was like yelling all the time. Like he was hardcore. Um, I'm curious how that will play into his, into his coaching style. Um, but I can't say much else. Like I don't I don't know if it was the right move or the wrong move. I think it was a pretty dramatic move, mm-hmm. like to kind of toss a Canadian really early on, hire a foreigner. Um, and I mean, if I were to look at a an organization, I would hope that the they're keeping in mind like the longevity of volleyball in Canada, right? Like we're trying to grow the sport, we're trying to grow coaches, we're trying to grow the grassroots level. Um, and I mean, I want to assume that that's they've thought of those things, and it's kind of a part of their plan but beyond that i don't have much to say just because it's it's definitely a polarizing topic yeah totally and that was a and just being on team with a bunch of canadians who were involved with the program this summer we, our coach was involved uh as well kind of on staff in training and stuff and that was pretty much what we had heard is that 
pretty much the coaches were told and the team was told like heading into the summer it's for them to develop and you know bring in a lot of new guys and young guys and get uh, get guys caught up on stuff and the goal wasn't to you know win any or place in any uh, of the major competitions this summer I I want to piggyback I have one more question about that so in yeah. Obviously, we don't know other organizations as well as like USA. We know like okay, the, the players are heavily involved in USA volleyball. We know that, right? And especially with the older ups and the, the more experienced guys are going to listen. The coaching staff and organizations going to listen to more of those guys. We were talking about the subject. We were talking about there's like if someone's going to be pulled that quickly and 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 whatnot. Do you think how 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 much do the players have an influence on like stuff like that in Team Canada? Because um, I know, like I said, in USA, we have a heavy influence on that. But I was wondering how T Canada is. Yeah, I would say, like, definitely when I was around the program, we pushed for as much influence as we could get, especially when it was kind of that core group of guys. We had kind of like five or six guys that had been with the program for like a decade. And it's kind of like, okay, when we went through some coaching stuff, like after 2016, Glenn left, we brought in Stefan Antigua, and then he ended up having to leave. And it was like, again, back open, like, okay, who are we going to have? And we wanted a lot of influence. And I think we got it. Like, we definitely had kind of our say in things and and had some power but what i would say is like now you look at there being a lot of turnover i don't know what those new guys going into the program how they would have asserted themselves in that situation i don't think it's organic for the top down to just be like hey what do you guys think like your opinion like give us your opinion it kind of had to do the reverse of that where we had to kind of work to give our opinion um i would say though obviously there's a couple guys that are a little bit older um and I don't, I honestly don't know, like from, from their perspective, how involved they were in, you know, them being disappointed, them being, I don't know, like about that move. I would say though, that obviously it was, it was a disappointing summer in a lot of ways. Like, of course they're not playing for results, but I think it's valid to say that they still underachieved, right? Like their record was still rough. I know you're trying to build things. You're trying to evolve things. Um, do I think in any way that that's, you know, a reason to let a guy go or to make huge changes. No, because you're trying to play for the future. Like you're not trying to play for right now, but they did underachieve. Um, so I'm sure a lot of the guys didn't like that feeling. And even in talking to them, they're just kind of like, yeah, it's not super fun losing as much as we did. Right. Right. Um, well, thank you for, I know, like I said, I know that's a very, very, can be very a hot topic, as they say. It's never easy when something like that goes down, especially in your home country. Um, with that being said, we 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 kind of briefed about about you kind of had a head start and kind of uh, into going on in coaching now right since 2018 unfortunately an injury uh, led you that way but in terms of coaching now is there something that you learn obviously when we're in a player's shoes we're always like man I hate my coach well not hate my coach but this pisses me off when my coach does this or this or this or this right but when we have to the tables are turned and we're the coaches now now we're like all right now we kind of see and we appreciate where this guy's coming from is there something that you're kind of learning throughout the process or that you have learned or the maybe the biggest thing you learned um throughout switching those roles yeah i think that like a relationship with your players is so much more important than maybe i gave it credit back in the day like i think if i'm a coach and a large percentage of my players are having thoughts like that okay then clearly i'm not that connected to them Right. Like if everybody's kind of pissed or it's like not fun or they don't agree with the direction we're going or who's playing or whatever it is, I would rather now as a coach <clears throat> be invested in like relationships with each one of those guys and then say, hey, like we're not happy about this because then it opens up the conversation. And like typically now, again, now that the roles are reversed as a coach, what I'm doing, I have a plan for it. Right. Like there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing. And a lot of times as a player, you're just not 
there's maybe a lack of communication to allow the player to understand why you're doing what you're doing, right? So that they can kind of get on board with it and everyone can kind of join together. So I would say that's now an important role of mine as a coach is like, okay, if you're feeling that way, that's going to be a barrier to you playing your best volleyball and you improving how we want you to improve and ultimately the team's performance. So let's talk about it. Maybe you'll convince me I'm wrong. I also don't want to be, you know, some dictator that's like, this is the way it's done and you're wrong, right? Like it's not the, it's not the, it's not the point of it all. But I would say like, I think, yeah, just relationship with those players is, is super important. And if I can, if they're not understanding it, maybe I'm not articulating it well. Maybe I'm not, maybe we, you know, move too quickly. Maybe the team doesn't know each other well enough. Like there's all these kind of different things that as a coach, you got to look for. Whereas a player, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the motion of, of sport. That's awesome. Yeah. The, I, I really want to get into kind of your setting pass. I think, you know, when you, as a setter, um, as yourself, like moving that coaching role, you develop that type of, I think, close relationship with your coach always. I always think that's the, the, the biggest connection from the coach to the team is usually through the setter just because they are a lot of people you talk to is like that's the heartbeat of the team like the setter kind of goes as uh as the team goes and so you know i want we are really focusing a lot on offense this month and a lot of the guests that we're having on um are that's kind of like the direction we want to go with a lot of the conversations and i want to get into more so like for you as a setter you played in obviously uh, various different countries, Olympics, national teams all over the world. I want to I get your input on what you have found the most important part of an offensive system is because, like, as I, even myself, like, in very short career, relatively speaking to a lot of other players, like, you go through different coaches and they all have, you have all these different coaches with different philosophies on systems and stuff. And for you, what have you found is the most important piece of uh, systems that you run of, like, successful systems in a way? Um, offensively speaking, kind of will and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, I would say like kind of what I ended up being known for a little bit was was running things through the middle, like kind of forcing the middle and kind of chart creating stuff from that. I mean, for a variety of reasons, it's it's definitely not it's no surprise that if you run the middle, it can open up opportunities elsewhere. Um, but I would say that's definitely like a a top priority for me and how you can technically improve as a setter to make it easier for your middles to score or how you can tactically make those decisions around running your middle. But I would say that that just was something that became really apparent, especially when, you know, you're playing some of these countries like Russia or like wherever it is that if they kind of know where you're going, you're putting your, your guys in a really tough spot um, and where speed can kind of win. So I think that's like kind of the top end was, okay, how can we innovate and how can speed be something that ends up becoming our advantage? Um, I think like tactically in, in running in a whole offensive system, I think it's, you know, super complicated and understanding this is another, I kind of have like a, a three-step process when I'm trying to talk about an offense and that would be, okay, first you got to evaluate what are your advantages and disadvantages, right? So like, what are your matchups that you like? What are some gaps that you can attack? Who's playing well right now for you? Then you got to look at, does the other team know that? And do they agree with that or believe that, right? Like if you've got a huge outside attacker, against a small setter, does the other team, are they worried about that? They might not be like, you know, I still remember when I was playing, I'd be curious to your take, uh, Mike, on this too. But when I was in Turkey, I don't know what it was, but every game, every middle would commit wherever I was. Like it was just one-on-ones to the outside and every team had a big opposite that was paid a ton of cash <laughs> and they'd have one-on-ones all day. And I'm like, okay, this is getting, first of all, this is getting boring for me. I don't like just 
setting my opposite and you still committing. And I remember a couple of times we were playing a team and we ended up like running up the score a little bit. So I tried to get the middle involved and they got like blocked twice in a row or something. And I went to the bench and was talking to our coach and was kind of like, I, I just don't understand why they're still doing this. Like we've got Sanchez, like the Cuban guy was our opposite and he's scoring like crazy percentages. Why are you committing with the middle? Anyway, so that just into the second part is like, is the other team aware of these matchups? In that situation, I guess no. And then the third part would be, okay, what are they doing about that? Right? Like I know when I was on, when I'm on Team Canada, Cam, a pretty small blocker internationally. Maybe I'm switching. Maybe I'm switching into the middle because they don't run middle in this situation. Maybe I'm switching with the outside. Maybe on a high ball, I'm pulling. Maybe, maybe their middle isn't committing or isn't as likely to commit because they want to be there to be with me so we can get four hands on it. Right? Like all those kind of different pieces. So I would say kind of like, learning to start processing the game in that way so that you can evaluate how you're actually going to become efficient uh, as an offensive system is kind of how I would look at it. And then making sure you've got a first tempo that's really quick that can then open things up. I have to touch on that because I think that's, I haven't ever heard that before, I guess broken down in that way. Um, (laughs) But it makes a lot of sense to me and I'm sure it makes a lot of sense to Joe as uh, another setter because just this year, I came to the bench saying the same thing. We had Nimir in position. We were in P1. Um, for other people, that's when your opposite is on the left, attacking on the left side. And uh, it was a perfect pass. And Ulash, like a, an older um, undersized setter, was blocking him. And I set the middle. And the middle and the left side were there and like soft blocked are like big guy. And I remember coming to the bench and being like, why in the world are they on our middle? And the pass was moved into position two. And I was like, why is he following my middle away from the mirror against Ulash? And like, that's been a realization I've had to make where like you start playing the game against yourself, like in a weird way where it's like, you're playing chess and the other guy's playing like checkers. And it's like, you start, actually working to like their benefit like you know like it's like rock paper scissors and you're like how deep do i go into this matrix right like okay i'm gonna go scissors he's gonna go paper so then i'm gonna go and we're gonna how far do we go and like figuring out how far you need to go um for each middle and each team is like something you have to do kind of quickly to be able to like figure out like okay this is really going to be this simple today and like it's just going to be that way and it gets really boring, but I'd rather win than lose. So I'm going to do it. And then the next time it's like, okay, someone's actually playing rock, paper, scissors against me. And like, this is going to be, you know, like a psychological battle. And, uh, that's when it gets fun. But I'm, I took up a lot of time, but I thought that was really well said. And, um, the order of that was really well put. So setters, if you're out there, anyone, I guess that's important to listen to. Oh, absolutely. How, how much does, so, have you ever, or do you know who Milan Zarkovic is by chance? He's a assistant at University of Hawaii now. He's Serbian. Uh, he worked with a lot of Serbian national team guys years ago. Um, but there's a, there was something like he always talked to me about, like coming through the university system, and he was like, with speed and sets, um, something like he had always talked to like his setters about too with Serbian like junior national team and young guys. He was like. Like, if you play fast in the zone, like, he was always telling the hitters, it doesn't matter where. Like, he was always about, like, the hitters using the speed of their arm and not so much, like, uh, 
like with the accuracy as much. He was saying with the set, he's like he's more about like getting the ball just into position fast, and then the hitters have to deal with it because it's one on one. You have like you know a very limited block, and so where for me it was always that question where you know you go with some coaches it's like you know slow it down a little bit and we just want like hittable balls every, like the most hittable ball every single time like the perfect and so i've gone through like three or four different coaches who have different philosophies kind of on how they want balls and um and I, to be honest like this year the coach i have i think i like the most in terms of like our philosophy like the balance i think we're like figuring that out kind of as we've gone through the season almost but what is your philosophy kind of on speed versus height and hittable balls um, in terms of like in-system offense? Yeah, I think there's, I'll say kind of like two things to that. I think the first thing would be definitely there's going to be a bit of a sweet spot and that sweet spot might change depending on your opponent. So there's definitely times, even with the national team where we've had it, where we maybe run like a pretty quick ball to position four to our power. Um, but right now they've got, like, I, I still remember this when we were playing, I ran and Maruf was blocking and Mar was in four, like during this game and, and it, they kept getting matched up together and we ended up just talking. We're like, Hey, let's just slow it way down. And you just go mash like over him, just fully swing, right? Like, don't even worry about the middle will be there, but you're still going to have a zone, like either line or kind of to six and you're scoring so efficiently. Yeah, let's just do that. Don't worry about going fast. Don't worry about better. And we won that game like quite easily because he was just a huge point scorer for us and we didn't have to worry about it. Now, obviously, you flip that and you put a big blocker there. Okay, we can't have four big hands on him. So we got to kind of create something from that. And then what I would say, like the second part would be when I'm thinking about speed too, a big part for me is I want to create as much speed as I can right out of my hands, like in the first meter. And then I want it to actually kind of slow down at the attacker. Right. So I want to try and create like as much impulse as I can, like quick impulse early. And then it slows down kind of when it gets the antenna, as opposed to kind of like a slingshot where it's just the same speed. I mm-hmm. want it to be kind of like fast and then stop for them. And that kind of comes from the mechanics or the technique of, of how you release it with your hands. But that's kind of my objective so that I can do both things. I can still beat the middle out of his yeah. spot, but then give the hitter a good opportunity to still to still score. But I, and I would also say yeah. like I've played with, it's an important thing for setters to be like, definitely it's a part of our responsibility to be as adaptable as possible. Cause I'll play with some guys that hit a super high ball, a super fast ball. If they don't have an approach, they score 0% of the time, like all these different yeah. things. And it's up to me to figure out, okay, how can we score? I'm not just here to make sure everybody has fun and gets to hit a ball. I'm here to, you know, find who the most effective guy is right now and how he can be the most effective guy. 100%. The, how, how have you dealt? So, how have you dealt with guys who need like that full approach every single time? Cause I feel like in transition, it gets really difficult. Uh, because I, I think everybody you've played with guys like that, where it's like, if they don't have that full approach, like the mechanics, everything, the timing just gets thrown off. It's really difficult for them to score. So like historically speaking, have you just completely avoided them or what are some tools as a setter that you've worked on that has got like, just to give you the option to be able to set them. Cause whether it's to the middle, it's like if guy, I've, if teams start knowing that you're not setting a guy in transition, transition or out of certain rotations, you know, if they're maybe receiving or something, I think it gets much easier to defend. Like I know for us scouting wise, even here with our club, like if we know that, 
there was certain rotations in the past year where it's like it becomes really easy to defend at that point because you know the ball he's not giving him the ball in certain situations so i just like as a setter how you have figured out like ways to make them more available if if you have or if you just kind of go with the method of just more so avoiding them in certain situations yeah that's definitely something that that was difficult for me i think kind of like i said like i liked forcing the middle i liked keeping speed and i noticed how you know if you've guys that are always available that can then make the middle more effective like that's a classic mm-hmm. scenario where like you're saying this guy's not available or even in good situations but they just run a slower tempo ball that means it's going to be more difficult there's going to be more attention to the middle because they're going to have time to be at each tempo they're going to be with the middle and then still be with their guy i would say though like then it's just that's kind of part of <clears throat> being a setter and how can you get creative maybe they just blocked and you know every time that they block they don't have time to get off and actually transition well okay don't even get off just stay there i'll set it super fast because typically those kind of guys are pretty physical like they're taller or whatever it is don't get an approach i'll sh- shoot it really fast and dunk it yeah right? maybe that's like the only way and then you do that maybe once in a game right it's not something that becomes mm-hmm. whatever but maybe it gets that left side attacker to help with your opposite a little bit more or whatever it is yeah um, and then on top of that I'll only really set them in situations where I'm comfortable knowing that they're going to have two blockers on them. Right. So like maybe they're a little bit weird. Okay. Don't worry about your speed. Like if I know that their approach is slow or them getting off the net is slow, we're not going to then run like a tempo ball in that situation. Yeah. I'll either go extra tempo where you don't even approach and I go super fast or I'll just set you a high ball. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're like a physical enough guy that we can just kind of go for I'll set you nice and high. They've got an undersized power or left side and you're going to swing. Cool. But we definitely had a philosophy with, uh, we can I mean, with our national team over the past kind of decades, we've adopted and kind of tested out several different ideas. And one of them was, and I think even the U S was doing this a little bit, but it was, uh, like, okay, in transition, trying to find the guy that has the best runway, mm-hmm. like whoever that is, like, in, as opposed to, okay, our opposites really efficient. But okay, if he just blocked, but that guy in six didn't even pass and he's just got a full runway to the pipe, cool, I'm just gonna set you a pipe because you're the guy that has yeah. the best approach. We ended up evolving away from that because you know, our ability to do things became a little bit more sophisticated because I could maybe yeah. run a fastball to the opposite even though he just blocked and didn't get an approach and still could score. Um, but I would say it's just, yeah, how do you get creative with that? I would like, on top of that though, that is something that's difficult for me. If I'm playing with a guy that is not great at that, yeah. I can see how it impacts everybody else's efficiencies and that bothers me. (laughs) So if you're an attacker, make sure that you work on little things like that, like work on your approach, work on ways to be available. Even if it is, you don't get a full approach, but you can just jump straight up and you still got a good arm action. Find a way to score. Or like if you can throw or you can get like the Slivka, like two-handed volley kill, like try and find a way to still be effective because you don't want... Like, especially, I know setters obviously think this way, but for attackers, how you perform doesn't just impact you. It impacts every other attacker, right? If your efficiency goes down, so does everybody else's, right? Because it becomes more predictable. It becomes a little bit more, you know, stagnant, and that's not what you want. Yeah. Can I, can I, I be- add on to that a little, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, I, I just wanted to point out uh, TJ DeFalco is like a – I mean, he's one of the players like that we played against growing up and everything. And he's a super good example 
of like you can throw a lot of stuff at him and it's really violent swing high up into the hands or it's thrown in the like he's just always available and able to like making smart decisions for people who want to like kind of watch somebody yeah. who's really good at that this i know especially because we have a mostly american audience he first me has been always something he's constantly available and makes good decisions in those quick kind of like uh transition plays uh, Sorry, there friend. was no 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 go ahead uh, there was one thing that stood out to me that I learned last year randomly, and it's just like a little tip for people that are listening. Um, and that was the first time that I realized uh, somebody had asked me for a, like a shorter ball in transition than I'm sure, TJ, you've probably met these people. I don't know, Joe, if you've had this before, but like that made so much more sense to me because there's so much more uh, runway for them. And like, yeah, maybe the middle is going to be there, but like, for example, an opposite – is blocking and they can only get off the net a meter and a half or for Americans four or five feet. So now you're, if they were to go straight to the net, they only have four or five feet. But if you're going to leave that ball two, three feet short, now that diagonal approach gives them seven to eight feet of an approach. Um, and I thought that was a pretty interesting tactic that somebody had figured out. I don't know. I'm sure they've been doing it forever, but um, that kind of saved and solved some of our issues. And um, if you run that with a guy who's pretty efficient at a 31 or a 7, um, and you can kind of balance the two, then it's not going to be a problem. So that's just did a random thing I thought an, of in, in counterattack. Did that ever become an issue, like shortening the court, like where like teams can just pack in like blocking? I feel like you're talking about a pin, like a right side or your opposite. Yeah, yeah. It was our right. opposite that wanted it. Okay. Did it ever become a problem? No, because in transition, okay. In in transition, a lot of times, like I was comfortable enough to throw it into the middle, and you have all three attacked, yeah, all three options, and he was just gnarly at it, and he'd been he'd been doing it for a while, so yeah, didn't really. And if they have a if they have block there, and your opposite has a per ball exactly how he wants it, then it's his job to finish it. No, absolutely, <laughs> it's not my that's job a, that's anymore. Thing. There's so many different systems. It's like. If you have like a guy, it's like that's that's why certain guys get paid a lot of money because they can score in every situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're getting paid more than me. You've <laughs> got to go over that. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you've. I'm not going to adjust. You got to adjust. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the DJ, uh, wh who's somebody internationally or on the club level right now, team wise that you watch and uh, systems wise, offensively, you're just incredibly impressed with, um, and something that you think more teams should maybe try to replicate. Uh, maybe. Uh, and uh, some just over the past few years that you've kind of, I'm sure you're still watching a lot of volleyball as, as, as much as you can. Yeah, I, I would say it's interesting because I definitely would look at international volleyball and club volleyball being quite different in how you mm -hmm. run your offense. Like internationally, it's so calculated and so efficiency-based that, you know, and you've got a pool of guys that are coming up and you might have a, a new opposite that nobody's even heard of, but they're touching like something crazy and you can kind of use that to your advantage or whatever it is. Um, and I just have found that in running a, an international offense, it's been so much easier to take a huge pool of information and come up with some awesome data. So I focus more on like tactics internationally, where then if I would look club wise, I feel like it almost becomes more like a little bit more of like a street ball style of volleyball where your technique or like your ability to distribute the ball becomes a little bit more prominent than like working through all these efficiencies. So I would say if you watch like Lubia right now with DeCeco, 
I just feel like he's a guy that technically is able to create so many things, even if the situation doesn't look like there's much available, he could still make something happen. And I think in doing that, it's a cool way to look at setting because, and, and I kind of made a post about this the other day that's was like weirdly philosophical, but it was just like a lot of times when I would play, I would think to myself that, okay, as I'm going to this ball, there is a way for me to make a set here where we are guaranteed to win the point. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, it's like not, and I'm not saying that it's like, Oh, well, that's a real thing, but I've always kind of went into it with that idea. And sometimes if you're looking at, okay, a guy's just running a one or a 51 or like close to you and you got your bick and you got, everything's normal. Okay. There's still a way that you can kind of create something in that for this point and for kind of every point of that set. And I, so I feel like internationally or club wise, if I'm watching club, I'm more impressed with guys that are technically able to deliver a ball that is deceptive and like is creating something versus internationally. It's like, okay, you're at a tournament like world championships. You're going to pay, play like 10 games. What you're doing in game one is going to impact game 10 where it's a little bit less. So in the club level of it's kind of more like you got a ball out, like it's a little bit more street ball. But I would say, yeah, I mean, DeCheco has been kind of impressive from from day one since I've been watching. I mean, I've been playing against him for like since the very beginning of my career. So uh, he's definitely somebody that can create things out of nothing. Yeah. TJ, I got one more question for you before we let you go. Here. Wait, wait, I have another one too. Uh, you go, right. you go. No, no, you go. All right. Well, it, 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 if you're piggybacking off that, Mike, I'll let you go then. I wasn't. Okay. So obviously, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, you are our brother to the north, Team Canada. <laughs> but And you want to go into every match and treat everyone with the same, not respect, but same intensity, right, when you go into the matches. Is there a certain flair or energy where you're like, hey, let's, let's get after these guys when you're playing USA? Because we are oh. brothers, technically. Yeah. I, I mean, technically. I 100% think there is. And it, it's also cool because, you know, we're playing the U.S. a lot more too just because of Norseka and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's also guys that sometimes go down to the States and play in college and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, a lot of those guys in, in kind of my generation there, I played against them more than anybody else internationally, right? Um, but I would say, like, my record against the U.S. relative to world ranking and stuff like that is pretty good. Like, I'm right around 500. Um and I would say, like, our first time beating them, we played, I think it was, like, 2015 in Detroit. I think it was my second time playing them. Uh, and we beat them in five with, like, a weird lineup. And that kind of, like, spurred the – before that, it had been, you know, like, years since they had beaten the U.S. The U.S. was pretty, like, dominant during that time. And we ended up actually beating them. And then, like, I think it was the next time we beat them again. And it was kind of one of those things where we almost had, like, this – this chip on our shoulder a little bit being like, okay, we're the little brother in this scenario. So we don't want to, you know, let our big brother get away with things. And, um, but I always like loved playing them. I also don't know why, maybe it was because we played them more. I felt really comfortable playing against them just because like offensively, I knew what they wanted to do in their blocking system. I kind of knew what their objective, we kind of knew their players a little bit better. Um, but I would say they were always a team that, we always had good games against them. I mean, yeah, like our Rio opener, we beat them 3-0. We were all like freaking out before the game, super nervous, like this big moment. And we go out and take them down 3-0. And it was like, okay, wow. And I do think there is a – I always enjoyed my time. Well, I mean, we won sometimes, so maybe that's why I enjoyed it. But I always enjoyed my time playing against the U.S. because it was – yeah, I felt like I knew a lot of those guys more than – you know, beyond – okay, I knew the Polish guys because I played with a bunch of them. You know, I played, I knew the Turkish guys because I played with a bunch of them. So like, that's a little bit different, but 
I do think it was always fun to play against the U.S. And, and I mean, there's some freaky athletes on the U.S. too, so it was kind of it's always cool to watch. I was just curious about that because I know, like, from a USA perspective, we kind of came in the same way. Like, let's go, let's go, let's get after these guys. We're not going to let these guys win. So I was just, that was just curious. I, I, I curious. I haven't really asked my my teammates about that, but yeah. And I also I do feel like we almost just in saying that I was kind of around 500 or whatever it was. I feel like it was a classic battle of like the U.S. is second in the world and we're nine or something like that. So it's like they are expected to win. They should win. They're the U.S., we're Canada, everything's on the line. And we got to come out and just like, hey, let's just ball. Like, we don't have the pressure, they have the pressure. And so I feel like it was a dynamic for us that we could lean on, kind of being the underdogs a little bit and kind of play up to that. And it led to, you know, kind of a competitive advantage, I think. Right, right. Okay, uh, I'll narrow it down to one because I had a few more, but we'll let you go. We don't want to keep you too long. Because the free um, call is running out, so it's... <laughs> yeah. Hey, they let me know. Gage is like, wait, we upgraded, so... Wow. Upgraded, baby. Look at unlimited us. There we go. There we go. Unlimited. He's like, why do we need to set another link? Unlimited. Oh, my goodness. We're here all night. Let's go. Exactly. Um. So, for setting, I feel like, in any position, really, you you kind of want to just find who you're going to be. Um. They come at, like, setters come in such different ways and other people have such different strengths than others how did you find your strengths um develop them and like trust them and then um how did you find your weaknesses and like where did you balance the attention you'd give to strengths the attention you give to weaknesses how did you kind of catch up in certain areas how did you not compare um and like kind of just fill into your own shoes and kind of like figure out how you how you're going to play as a setter. What, what was that journey like? Yeah. You know, I, I think kind of through my development, I, I did struggle with like direction. Okay. What am I supposed to be as a setter? What is a good set? Like, what does all that mean? And that's a lot of what I'm doing now with kind of like the coaching and any of the content and stuff is just, okay. I had a lot of questions or there was a lot of cliche things said to me that I didn't really know what that meant. Like, okay, you got to get faster hands or, Oh, Hey, we want like even distribution or, Hey, like what, whatever kind of random things are told to you that I didn't fully understand. Okay. I want faster hands. How do I, how do I get that? Like, what's the, what's the thing beyond that? Yeah. Okay. I can go watch Maroof and it's just like explodes out of his hands, but how is he doing that? Like, what's the point of it? So I think a lot of those questions or kind of coming to my own identity was trying to answer those things and trying to find the principles behind kind of the techniques. I kind of, I look at principles and techniques a little bit different where, a technique is something that, you know, you're physically doing. Like if it's like, hey, I'm setting back, I'm moving my thumbs in a very specific way where the principle might be, okay, I don't want the ball to drop below a certain point. I want my thumbs to go get it, right? Like that would maybe be the two different, like the subtle differences between a principle and a technique where if I'm watching other players, I would be less worried about their technique or other setters, right? Who I admire. I'd be less worried about their technique and more concerned about what principles are they adhering to, to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And so that was kind of a way that I tried to, you know, kind of transition or digest what I was getting, like these kind of cliche things to turn them into, okay, yeah, fast hands, but what I've noticed, okay, if I eliminate the recoil or I release in this certain way, or if I get, you know, certain parts of my wrist more involved, it'll actually come out differently. Okay. That's actually equaling faster hands not necessarily just, you know, saying that. 
Um, so in doing that, I think that's kind of what led to me finding my identity, just being like super curious in what that was. I also grew up, like I grew up playing all sorts of sports. I was a, like a basketball guy to begin with. And I think seeing a lot of different sports, you just see the game a little bit differently. I wasn't so much in a box the same way. Like my first few years setting, it literally looked like I was doing a jump shot. Like I'd finish with one hand, like, like following through. And obviously, you know, you kind of grow out of that and whatever it is. But I, I think it was more, okay, I want to be super curious. I want to see what the best in the world at that time are doing. I want to replicate those principles, not the techniques, and then kind of grow from there. But I, I find it really interesting. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'd be really curious your guys' take on it. But I don't find in North America that setting is very sophisticated versus other parts of the world. I mean, there was times, especially early on, like when I was on the junior team, and we would go... And we played like in Argentina, we played a couple Argentinian clubs and they would have some setters there that like nobody had ever heard of. They'd never been with the national team. We're running like this crazy offense, doing these crazy things where I'm like, what? But nobody, this guy's sick. Like nobody even knows who he is. What's, what's happening. But he's like ninth on the depth chart for Argentina. And I'm like, okay, what is it about the culture of volleyball there that is so different? And I mean, there are definitely limitations. Like they're not a super physical team. So, okay. Setters have to be more creative. There's definitely a balance in that. Like, you know, you watch Russian or Cuban setters. Maybe they're not crazy flashy or creative, but it's because they got monsters out there, right? So they're not really worried about that. But I would say it was just the kind of thing where I'm trying to answer these questions and figure out, one, okay, how can I make Canada successful? But also, two, how can I understand from the rest of the world what setting is kind of done? And now, obviously, kind of going on that journey, playing in Poland, playing against all these countries a lot, it's kind of like, okay, how do I bring that back to... Canadians or North Americans and try to make setting a little bit more sophisticated so that, you know, I, I feel like I was really starting to learn how to run an offense when I was, you know, like 26 or something like that. I'd already been to the Olympics. I watched the real Olympics. It's kind of like, Ooh, that's a little elementary how I'm kind of running things. And it's like, okay, I'd already been playing with the national team for, you know, four or five years or whatever it was at the time. Yet I'm not able to do things that sophisticated so my goal is, okay, if guys in college or guys that are younger or girls can kind of start to identify these things and how to run an offense tactically or learn technically what's going on with those setters in Argentina, maybe that's going to give us a little bit of an advantage and catch us up. I know that was kind of a long-winded answer. To, no, no, no. I mean, your it's, journey, your, it's your show. It's your show right now. We're just trying to, well, I, the unlimited trying to pick your mind. I just was like, yeah, I want to. <laughs> All of a sudden, there's no time limit. So. Green light, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> green light, green light. Well, before we let you off here, before we wrap up the show, we just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Dr. Price Electrolyte. Add to them for 20% off. And we will be doing a giveaway for this entire month. So make sure you pay attention. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We'll make sure you find the details out and the instructions out. With that being said, TJ, thanks so much for hopping on, bro. It was always a pleasure. We'll make sure to have from you on far, again. From the far north. Uh, from the far, for the farthest of the farthest, Santa Claus, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Also, what you're doing is sweet. I love all the hey, content. Thank it's you, a man. blast. Right. Hey, and with that being said, make sure you go and follow TJ. We'll we'll make sure to link put the link in the bio to his Instagram, to his TikTok. Anything else you need? We should put in the link in the bio. Anything? Well, we I mean, plug? I'm not sure. I'm that proud. I, I think I started TikTok like yesterday, so you know, bear with. Me. I saw that. I you popped my page. Yeah. yeah. Part of my page, of course. I got to plug it. So we'll put everything in the link in the bio. So TJ has some love. He's obviously shown some great, great volleyball content and knowledge. So if you're a younger player or any level player, make sure you follow him along his coaching journey in the great, great north. With that being said, if you can't handle this has been another episode presented by out of system. If you can't handle the heat, goddamn kitchen. This has been another episode presented by Dr. Price Electrolytes. <laughs>